All of us have the opportunity to impact the next generation because raising children who know God is the responsibility of every Christian. To do that well, it's important to be intentional. Begin with the end in mind. Teach the Bible and how it applies to our daily lives. And be an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Like you, I look forward to today's teaching as our family ministry team of Cindy, Jordan, and Jim bring this important message from God's Word. Well, good morning, everybody. Just want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Jim Breckbuehler. I'm the discipleship minister here. This is Cindy Herpelsheimer. She's our children's minister. And then this is Jordan Tuttle. He's our student minister. And today we are doing one of our issues sermons. We deal with an issue of the day, and we sandwich it in between uh, two sermon series. And today we are going to be talking about the eternally important issue of discipling our children, especially with an emphasis on parenting. And we first want to note that parenting sermons can hit people in different ways. Uh, if you have little kids in the home or your adult children are all walking with the Lord, then it will hit you well. But maybe you have the prodigal child or maybe, uh, and you did everything you could as a Christian parent, or maybe you came to the Lord later in life as a Christian and you didn't know the things that you were to emphasize uh, in the home, then that can bring some pain. But we serve a God of hope. And through the fact that we can parent till the day the Lord calls us home and the fact that we can pray diligently for our children, um, we always have the hope that they are going to come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We're also mindful of those that, have, uh, that are trying, couples that are trying to have children, and that has just not happened. And we would just hope at some point that maybe God will bless you with a biological child or that you'll be a blessing to and receive a blessing back from, through adoption. But regardless, everybody can pour into our children in this church. And so there's something in this sermon for everybody today. I want to give you a little bit more background in case if you don't know about the three of us. Uh, I've been uh, married to Cheryl for 34 years, and we have three kids. Andy's 32, and he's married to uh, Lindy, our wonderful daughter-in-law. And they are active out at uh, Cheryl's original home church, East Point. And then we have a son that's 29, Kyle. He's active in the worship team and some other things down at Rock City. And then Noah's our 18-year-old freshman at Columbus State, and he's running around here, has been for years, just came out of Jordan's uh, youth group. And then Cindy has three kids. Calvin's a junior at Ohio State. And Jay is a freshman down at Columbus State. And then Kaylee is a junior at Columbus Alternative School. And if you've been here long enough, you've seen their kids running around uh, you know, in VBS or upward, they, these kids serve a ton. And then Jordan and Kelly don't have any kids yet, but I want to address this issue. Uh, my wife, uh, Cheryl, and uh, Steve, our senior minister, our brother and sister, most of you know that, and they actually grew up since they were babies with Jordan's dad and his uncles. And so um, Jordan's grandparents actually would have taught Cheryl and Steve, so it's kind of a long history there. And the thing that, that I want to mention, I've known uh, Mark and Annette, um, Jordan's parents, for close to 35 years. And Jordan comes out of a really strong Christian home, not only in the one he grew up with, but an extended Christian home, so he can speak to the issue of what godly parenting is like. And I'm just so, we're so blessed 
to have a really great children's minister and a great teen minister to speak into the lives of our kids. Um, so we had limited time to talk this morning about such a huge topic. So we decided we'd start by each of us putting down the three things that we felt were most important, the three priorities that we would talk to you about this morning. And believe it or not, we all ended up on the same three, just with some minor variations in language. And so I'm going to talk about the first priority. They'll talk about the other two, and then we're going to share some nuts and bolts regarding parenting. The first priority we want to talk about is this. We must be very intentional in discipling our children in their faith with the end in mind. It must be a top priority. Discipling our children with the end in mind must be the culture in our home. And this is more important today than ever before. There are some startling facts that we have to face. Depending upon the research you look at, between seven to nine kids out of every ten in the church are leaving the church when they leave, when they graduate from high school. Uh, Pew Research did a seven-year study uh, where they interviewed adults 18 and over and asked them if they associated with Christianity. And over those seven years, those that, were, that said they were Christians went down 1% per year. And the ones that are now identifying themselves with agnosticism, atheism, and agnons, which means you're not attached to anything, have gone up pretty much the same. A 7% drop in seven years. And so it's, more, it's obvious now more than ever before that we need to parent with great intentionality. We must keep the main thing the main thing. And one of the biggest obstacles to prioritizing discipling our children for Jesus is busyness. We will each share a scripture regarding the priority that we're talking about today. But the one that stuck out as I was thinking about how do you talk with, about busyness is the first commandment out of the ten. Exodus 20, 3 through 6 says this, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation for those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so we hear that and we say, okay, I'm good. I've got, I love the Lord. My God, Lord, the God is number one in my life, but because I don't have a little golden calf in my house or some little guy, the little statue that has, you know, sitting cross-legged and smoke coming out of his head, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about anything where God is supposed to be number one and then this particular thing moves God to number two or lower. And usually anytime God's not number one, he's way on down the list. So when it comes to parenting, we may find ourselves saying, you know, hey, I would love to get my kids to Sunday school, but, but Junior's over here and, and he's doing X and, you know, he's too tired to get up in the morning. We just are too exhausted. Or, or Jordan, I would get, or Cindy, I would get my kids to youth group on Sunday night, but, but X travel team takes them away and we're just running all the time. And all of a sudden now X becomes the thing that puts God in second place or much lower. 
Maybe you have a situation where Missy, man, she is just into this academic thing. She's trying for college scholarships. She's always studying on Sunday afternoons. And see, that becomes the X factor, and it moves God to second place or lower. And we need to get our families back into balance where God is the first priority in our home. Our boys um, were all involved in a lot of stuff. Our first one was into sports and 4-H and band, a little bit of each. Our latter two played basketball the whole way through their high school years. Um, We made plenty of mistakes, but one of the things we really tried to do is make sure that God was always first priority in our home and that the boys knew it. It can be done. So we get our houses in order as far as a balance. But here's the second thing I said. We parent intentionally, but with the end in mind. See, we want kids that are going to honor God day in and day out. They're going to be followers of Jesus Christ. But we want to make sure that when they leave the home at 18, that they can defend their faith. Also, is there a higher desire for parents that when our children leave this earth, that they will go to heaven? I can't think of anything. Now, you may also be thinking of this. If I said to some of you, hey, what do you think about your grandkids? And you may be going, man, I got a three-year-old. I got a 13-year-old in the home. I'm not thinking about grandkids. But if I said, do you think you'll love your grandkids? You'd say, oh, yeah, absolutely. I love my kids so much. I know I'm going to love my grandkids. Here's the thing. When you are parenting that three-year-old or that 13-year-old, you are parenting the parents of your grandkids and your great-grandkids. So we have to be thinking long-term about being very intentional about parenting in the long run. Yeah, that's so true. And Jim, if we're going to do that, if we're going to ensure that God is our first priority in our family, we can't do it without his word. So the second priority that we want to talk about this morning is that we have to have biblical teaching in the home. But the sad fact is that we're facing an epidemic of biblical illiteracy. I want to ask you this morning, um, how many of you guys drink a cup of coffee every day? Yeah. You're about right with the statistics. The surveys show that about 40% of all Christians drink a cup of coffee every single day. But only about 16% of Christians are in their Bible every day. The vast majority of homes in America, 87% own a Bible. That includes non-believers. And the average home has three of them. And yet fewer than half of all adults can name the four Gospels. A third of Americans never read the Bible on their own. And get this, at least 12% of American adults believe that Joan of Arc was the wife of Noah. It's bad. (laughs) And if we aren't looking to God's word for the truth as adults, how can we expect the kids to do it? So how should we get God's word into our kids? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6 makes it very clear. I'm going to read to you from the NLT because I love its straightforward wording. It says, The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord with the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. We have to put him first and above all other things, as the first commandment tells us. But it continues like this. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So when is the right time to talk about scripture with our kids? It's all the time. It's at home. It's in the minivan. It's at breakfast. It's at bedtime. 
God's word should be on our minds as often as we use our hands and as often as we glance in the mirror. People, including our children, first and foremost our children, should be able to see scripture in our everyday tasks all the time. We have to impress it on the kids. They have, to, they have to be our greatest mission field without exception, and we have to be intentional about impressing the truth in their lives. Absolutely, and, the, and these first two <laughs> priorities are, are two things that deal with direct obedience to what God is calling us to. You know, you, you shall have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and impress these on your kids. And obedience leads to the third of our top three, which is living by example. Uh, we talk about how many kids are leaving the church, and it, it's being called an exodus. Uh, why are they leaving, though? Why are these kids leaving the church? An article by Christianity Today says, 80% of young people who dropped out of church said they did not plan to do so during high school. It's not that most rejected the church. Our teenagers aren't primarily leaving because they have significant disagreements with their theological upbringing or out of some sense of rebellion. For the most part, they simply lose track of the church and stop seeing it as important in, to their life. So we often point to the younger generations and say that they're leaving because of all the, these things that they're hearing and these lies that they're being told. And while that may, while that may be true for some, 80% just say they don't think it's important. We need to be setting the example uh, for our young people. From a very young age, they imitate everything we do. You see babies and toddlers mimicking our motions, the way that we talk, the way that we move. They, they, they mimic everything that you do. And when they become teenagers, what you do typically dictates how they are adults. And there are two pieces to this. There's leading by example in the home and loving by example in the home. And to lead by example in the home means that you're placing importance on the right things. Like Jim talked about, you know, we're celebrating church and we're not treating it like it's just some other extracurricular. Church isn't just an extracurricular activity that you're a part of that, that's a, some kind of privilege. Church is a foundational piece of our lives. And loving by example in the home uh, looks a lot like what Paul writes to the Colossians in, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. As we're talking about this subject, we thought if every, everyone in the home looked this as law, uh, it would be a pretty great place to be. Compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, forgiving, and loving. This means parent to child, parent to parent, and probably one of the most difficult ones to figure out is child to child. Our kids are watching our every move. And if there's one thing that I know about teenagers, spending a lot of time with teenagers, is they'll often use it against you in arguments. What you're doing and what they see you doing, they'll, they'll justify their arguments. So we, we look back at these priorities, top three. You know, we have uh, parenting with the end in mind, intentionally parenting with the end in mind, and then bringing the Bible, bringing Scripture into the home, biblical teaching in the home, and then living by example and leading by example. And we have these top 
top three priorities, but what we want to talk about now is, you know, 75% of teenagers are leaving the church, or seven to nine out of ten. What about, what about the rest of them? Why, why are the 25% staying? What, what, what caused them to stay? So we have five influences that we want to talk about on, on why these teenagers are staying in the church. So one of the things the research showed is where families ate dinner together, uh, that was a huge one, the whole family. Now, uh, over the years in our own family, um, because of our work schedules being kind of crazy, we didn't always get to do that, but we made an effort uh, to eat with each of the boys, if at all possible, or to try to do it as a family. But here again, busyness can be a huge factor in undermining this. <clears throat> and one of the things that stuck out as I was thinking this week, uh, I, I read something years ago. There was a minister by the name of John Ortberg. He's a, a writer. You guys may have read some of his stuff. Um, and his life had got out of balance with his wife and his kids. And so he called up his a mentor, the the theologian, uh, Dr. Dallas Willard, and he said, what, what do I need to do? So he leaned in as his mentor would give him this great advice, and, and uh, he said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And so Ortberg wrote that down, and he leaned in to hear more, and Dallas Willard said, no, that's it. Just ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. And see, some of the greatest conversations happen at dinner time or around the meal time. And so if our lives are out of balance, sometimes we have to just get down and say, hey, we need to cut some things. We need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry so that we can eat together or just be there for breakfast or lunch or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I think another key to that is being very intentional about using the time that we have better. And this isn't so much a cookie cutter thing as a potato salad thing. You've got your potato salad recipe in your family, I've got mine, and they work for our own families. The key is that it all starts with talking both regularly and intentionally. And I don't know where it is for your family, but there are moments already built into your day where your family is together. So don't neglect those. Use them. And if you use them consistently, little things done consistently can add up to very big results. Um, perhaps for you, it's breakfast, not dinner. Begin your day by asking, how can I pray for you? Um, maybe it's bedtime. And, you know, end your day by asking what's on your mind for tomorrow. Um, for us, it's always been car time. Please don't throw things at me. But if I can make one suggestion to parents of little ones, it's to make your car an electronics-free zone. Um, one thing that I did right as a young parent was to say no to the minivan TV. And to this day, most of our most meaningful conversations as a family happen in our car. I mean, you really cr can't create a better place for conversation than where they're tied in and can't walk away from you. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they're in their car seats, so they're, they're in that situation. Uh, I, I'm going to brag on some friends of mine, uh, Ryan and Jen Du. Ryan's in my D group, and uh, they don't know I'm talking about them today. But I was talking to Ryan, and, and they were talking about screen time and how they kept calling each other out, you know, uh, Ryan, you're on your phone. Jen, you're on your phone. Get out of here. Whatever. They, they've made a choice to go and play with Winnie, their daughter, in Winnie's room. And when they go into Winnie's room to play with her, they take their phones and they leave them in the living room. And they're intentionally <laughs> leaving their phones in the living room so that they have zero distraction and they can focus on their child and both be there and have intentional, intentional time with Winnie. That this time is, is so critical. When I was a freshman in high school, uh, I, moved, uh, I moved from a private school in Georgia, a private Christian school in Georgia, to a public school in Granville, Ohio. 
and, and this was in the middle of November. It wasn't at the beginning of the school year where there were orienta orientations and things like this. This was you know, a huge move, and, and I had zero friends when I got there. I had zero friends for a long time. Uh, my only friends were my parents. Uh, th that's just the reality of the situation. And, and the most important times to me, and I, I still remember a lot of these times uh, today, were the ride to school with my mom in the morning. Every morning I'd ride to school with my mom and we'd have great conversation. And then at night, you know, we'd have dinner together. Me, my mom, and my dad. My brother was at college at the time, so he wasn't with us. But we, we had time together and we spent intentional time together. And that time with my parents was, again, absolutely critical for me in a time of trial, in a time of struggle. So the number two influence that we have is, is serving with your kids, serving alongside your kids. And, and the thing that's important to understand here, a little saying is, more is caught than taught. Like, like I talked about before, our kids are learning by our example. Typically they're learning by our example than, than what we're saying to them, than what we're actually teaching them. And, and this is even more than just serving here at church. And, and yeah, that's, that's important. But we should be teaching our kids uh, how to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And this is going to take them out of their comfort zone. And the reality is, it's probably going to take us out of our comfort zone. Because some of us might not be in that situation yet either. But if we serve alongside our kids, our, our kids can learn a lot more. Yeah, that's the right. Modeling is so important to our kids. It's letting them see our faith in action. And when you serve with kids, they get to see you they get to see you serve, but they also get to see you persevere and not walk out on something because things get tough. I think that it also lets our kids see us experience God at work, and it, it teaches them to expect that God will show up in their lives as well. This morning, we heard about some perfect opportunities to do exactly this. Um, this afternoon is the fall festival, and um, you know something as simple as baking brownies with your child can be a great talking time for why our church family is so important to us. Um, Upward basketball has been an incredible time of service for a lot of families here at Discover, my own included, um, parents and their kids or their teens or their young adult children serving together in many ways. Um, it, it just is such an incredible opportunity to strengthen the relationships that you have with your own family while reaching out to kids who really need Jesus. Likewise, for the upcoming CCHO missions trip, I just don't think you can <laughs> underestimate what can happen when a father or a mentor and a boy invest time and sweat and have real conversation while they're serving kids who are in some really situations. So I wanted to share uh, something that we did in our family um, and humbly men again we've made a lot of mistakes but this is one thing I hope that we did, did, did right. Um, we encouraged our kids to serve up at camp at Round Lake to serve in Upward and all kinds of different things but one thing that we wanted to do is make sure all three of our boys got on um, two mission trips one stateside and one international. And we wanted to do that because we wanted them to see how the rest of the world lives, not here in Worthington or Dublin area or Hilliard area. And so um, they, two of them went to Haiti. One of them went to multiple different countries, including Haiti and Mexico. Um, been to Appalachia with them. And this past summer, Noah, our, our, our youngest, went to Arizona. But I was thinking back to the summer before last, and um, we were taking baby layettes out to the moms in these villages, very, very poor village, and, and, and Noah was going to be going out there, and they said, you're going to hold a baby, and you're going to be talking through a translator to uh, the mom. 
And so, uh, and it could be a bear bot or naked baby or whatever. And I'm thinking that I didn't even, I don't even think Noah's ever held a baby before. And lo and behold, so he gets handed a, a naked little baby and he's translating and everything. And you know what? He did great at it. And, um, you know, he was walking down through these shanties and he was seeing the way a lot of the rest of the world lives. And a couple things come to mind. He was being pushed out of his comfort zone, and you will be shocked what your kids can handle when they get out onto a mission trip and, and are forced into that. It's, it's great. The second thing is you might go, well, we don't have the money to send kids on a mission trip. This church is so generous. They will, you, you can send out uh, support letters. The kids send them out. Adults do the same thing. And I, to my knowledge, don't remember of anybody that couldn't go on a mission trip because they couldn't raise support. So never let money be the issue of not going on a mission trip. And, you know, this week we'll be up at CCHO, and my oldest son Andy, he goes up every year, and he'll be up there working with me. And this is something that started way back when we took our first mission trip to Mexico, man, a long time ago, and other trips that he's done. And so, again, we were intentional about that, and that's something I would really encourage you if you have younger kids in the home. Yeah, that's an amazing thing. The next factor that's found to correlate really heavily with the kids who do remain in their lasting walk with Jesus is that a child has at least one spiritual experience a week in the home. Yes, that means in your home. See, God didn't charge us as parents with just the role of being spiritual chauffeurs, taking them to places where other people can pour into them. He gave us the job to make disciples. Um, so what I want you to know here is that you do not have to be a professional theologian to lead your children to Jesus. Um, more importantly, you just need to be intentional about providing a spiritual experience, here's the key, that's beautifully memorable, not painfully memorable. It's okay to be brief and it's necessary to be age appropriate. So if you have toddlers, that might mean that um, a beautiful children's Bible is just an intentional part of your every night bedtime routine. If you've got preteens who are looking like they'll be missions minded, a book like this where you can study as a family about countries and what the church looks at, like in them and learn how to pray for them can be the Right move, or maybe it's actually doing a, a, a walking through a family devotional with your family once a week. Um, any of these are great tools, and I would love to help you find the tools for your family that fit your particular potato salad. Absolutely, and that's, and that's so important to us. So, what, what we want to emphasize too is what our kids are taking home. So, Cindy and I both have built in ways uh, in, into our ministries. That, that give families an opportunity to take home what they're learning, what they're studying, and, and to discuss that at home. Both of us are actually doing a thing called the Gospel Project. We're walking through the Gospel Project, which walks through all of Scripture and points to Jesus throughout. And from elementary all the way up through seniors in high school, we're studying the same exact thing. So on any given Sunday, you can, you can talk about the same thing with your entire family uh, about what's going on in Scripture. Uh, you know, if, if there's a way that we can lean into this even more, a way that we could help e even more with that, we would love to. Our first priority, our first priority as a family ministry team is to give you all the support that we possibly can. So one of the spiritual experiences that can happen in the home, of course, we've talked about you can do devotions, you pray around a dinner table and those type of things, but are the conversations that happen at home. And, you know, face it, Kids are mean at school, and your child may come home, and they're saying, man, I, I just can't stand that kid. I mean, I, they might even say, I hate that kid. Uh, and they're thinking bad things. And it gives you an opportunity then to have a conversation and say, wait a minute, so, so we know what you're going through. Well, what does the Bible say about hating your enemy? 
about your enemy. We're supposed to love our enemy. Oh man, that changes the, the topic all of a sudden. And you have a, the opportunity to speak into their lives. Maybe they have a coach that's just making their life miserable day in and day out. You know, what do you do? Well, let's start praying for that coach's attitude and the type of things going on in their lives and for their families. Maybe they come home and say, I'm really worried about my friend. She's all of a sudden become very sullen and, and I saw her crying in school today. And then all of a sudden you can start to have a conversation with your child about what they can do at school with their friend and maybe potentially saying, hey, our house is a safe house. You can invite your friend over here. Let's try to figure out what's going on and we can start to be praying for this family. Yeah, that's so impactful. The fourth factor that we, we have heard that really impacts kids who stay with the church is that they were encouraged to make faith their own from an early age. We have to remember that we're not training up the next generation of the church. We're training up the current generation of the church. And that means that we need to be really intentional about helping them take ownership of the faith. And we need to empower them to be forging a relationship with Jesus that's truly their own, that's not just an extension of, of our faith. I mean, isn't it easier to throw away something that belongs to someone else than something you've invested in. Um, this can look like a lot of different things. It can mean equipping your kids to take a turn at presenting the family devotion one week. It can be mean. It can mean giving your teen a, a piece that they're solely responsible for as you coach an upward team together. Um, it can mean encouraging your child to just take on a, a small job at church that you see is missing on a given Sunday. Um, the key here isn't so much the what we do as the why we do it. I give, I serve, I believe, because Jesus. So this part uh, where we're, we're actually coaching our kids up, I mean, keep in mind that every single one of us, when we leave those doors, these doors on Sunday morning, we, are, we go out as ministers for Jesus Christ. And so we're coaching our kids up to have a ministry mindset for the people that they come in contact with, whether it be on their team, in their part-time job, or especially in their schools. So we're starting to get them to be thinking, hey, there is a student. I, I, my friend's not right. I'm going to go over and sit down with them. I might even ask them if they want to be, I could pray for them. Or, hey, mom or dad, hey, I just invited Johnny home after school for pizza. And you're thinking, uh, I wasn't even thinking supper. But you're like, you know what? That is awesome. I'm very proud of you. Or they may be saying, you know what? Mom, dad, I know we're not in a financially in a good situation. But I'm really thinking that the Lord's calling me to go uh, this summer to Haiti. And you're like, you know what, we're going to make this happen. The Lord will be with us, we'll get her done. And so we are coaching our kids up so that they start to own their own faith. Yeah, and ownership of faith starts with challenging our kids. We have to be challenging our kids with the doubt question. And your instinct is, is, might be to think that doubt is a bad thing. And actually doubt brings about more and better faith. When we ask the doubt questions... We're, we're, we're intentionally ask, asking questions and seeking answers. We should be challenging our kids because we want them to come to us asking these questions. Uh, and we, can, we can point them to Scripture and say, you know, we believe this because this, or, or we look at this and this is how we treat people. And, uh, but sometimes, sometimes they're going to ask a, us a question and we're like, I have no idea. So we have to be able to say, I don't know, but we can find out together. I don't know, but we can find out. So we need to be challenging our kids. Our fifth influence is, a, is an outside spiritual influence. You know, we have people in volunteer positions here for a reason. Cindy and I both have trusted volunteers in place to be in relationship with our kids. And it may not be 
me or Cindy or Jim that is that outside spiritual uh, person influence. It may be a volunteer here. It may be someone else. I don't know. But here's why this is so important. We each have someone. We each have someone. We each have an influence in our lives outside of our parents. And a lot of what they did for us is the reason we're here right now. For me, it was my student minister, Josh Davis, uh, and my small group leader, Bart Tabner. And I'm still in relationship with these guys today. In fact, I'm in student ministry with Josh. And they continue to make an impact on my life. Um, I'm slightly older than these guys, and so I had to, like, hearken way back. How's that? You know, like 45 or 50 years uh, to my days back in Jet Cadets. I don't know if that reminds anybody of anything, but, but back when I was in grade school and middle school and high school, and, man, I got to thinking about the people that spoke into my life. Um, there were the ministry couples like Dick and Eileen Carpenter and Charlie and Beverly Maloney, my youth minister, and Rod and Autumn here on another senior minister that followed the Carpenters. But there were volunteers that spoke into my life. They gave, uh, opened their homes. They were just there at literally everything we did. They were on trips with us. And I think of Bill and Nancy Perkins and Jim and Nancy King and Don and Dot Mativi. And these were people that they probably today don't even know that I haven't seen these people for 40 years. I am still friends with their kids, though. And so, um, you know, it's just so important when we are speaking to the lives of kids that we are having an impact on them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and those people are going to change over the, the course of time, but it's so important that at every stage there are people who are speaking into our lives with Jesus. I love to talk to my own kids about, about this, and if you ask my college-age sons um, who has impacted them for Jesus, they'll still list Miss Christie's pre-K class here at Discover as one of their most special um, spiritual uh, relationships because she invests in our little people in a way that um, lasts with them for decades. Um, Miss Jody and tea over Bible lessons. Um, whatever was going on in her own family, she made fifth grade girls feel their special place in God's family as she brought them homemade treats. And, and being greeted by Mr. Dave's dog at high school life group, no matter how busy, he opened his home every week to rowdy high school boys and um, listened. It's just adults sharing personally with children and, and revealing their own relationships with God. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm the perfect parent because I don't have any kids. Uh, so, but, but the reality is, I, you know, I am that generation that we're pointing to. Uh, I'm 26 years old. Uh, 18 to 19 year old, or 18 to 29 year olds is the is the is the statistic that we're pointing to. Seven to nine out of ten kids leaving the church, and you know I'm I'm one of those. Kelly and I were in the same uh, in the same youth group. Imagine you know two of us. The two of us made it, right? The two of us are here. But what about the, the uh, eight other kids? What about the eight other kids? You know. And that's nothing less than a tragedy. I'm so thankful that you guys are here. But 75%, 75% of young people who begin a walk with God and then walk away from him forever. Can you imagine if our community experienced a great tragedy? I don't know, an accident, a fire, um, one where we lost even a few of our young people. What would we do? I mean, we would grieve, certainly. And then I expect we'd probably make a memorial. We'd take a list of all the children, of all the young people who were lost, and we would list their names and we would carve them in stone. We would put them on a plaque, on a bench, or on a tree. It makes my stomach hurt to even think about it. 
But we've talked about some statistics today, and, and the tragedy that those st statistics represent, that 75%, would represent a loss that is so much greater than any accident that we can imagine. That's a list of young people who are dead to God. If our church constructed that memorial 10 years from now, 15 years from now, what names would we have to put on it? It's just unthinkable. But there's good news because the studies promise a tragedy, but our God promises hope. And you know what? Relying on Jesus, we can be the parents and the mentors that change that outlook. We can be the ones that ensure that the future of our children does not include a memorial that has to be born out of death, but that it can include a celebration that's born out of life, life with Jesus. So I ask you, what will you do this week, today, right now? In your own home, in our church, in your circle of influence, so that we don't have to see that 75% of young people walk away from God. What sacrifice is it worth today for each of us so that we don't have to see them walking as statistics, but we can see them walking as lifelong disciples of Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you've uh, given us the privilege of um, raising children, of influencing children, and we're all at different spots in our life right now. Maybe we have kids in the home, maybe we don't, uh, but we have just this awesome privilege and responsibility to speak into the lives of young people. Help us to have your eyes and your ears for those that those children that just need to be shaped, that need to hear about Jesus, that need to be coached up. Help us to, as a church body, to prioritize in the home that you are number one. You are number one priority in our home. You're a number one priority in our workplace. You're a number one priority in our parenting, like everything. Help us to follow your first commandment. Forgive us when we fail, but Lord, we want to develop a culture in this church it's already here somewhat but we always have room for improvement and we pray that as a church we will get even better at really focusing in on intentionally discipling our children help us lord um, just guide us and it's in christ's name that we pray Maybe you just want to come forward for prayer this morning. We'll be down here. If you would like to make a decision for Jesus this morning, man, we would love to have you make that. And you can do that as the worship team sings. Thank you.